Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Greg Ducharme, joined today by Mark Immelman. And the news today is we're halfway through the Honda Classic, but the big news today uh, is also in Florida. And at, at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, eight-time winner at Bay Hill, uh, the man who last won there in 2013, the defending champion of the Masters Tournament, Tiger Woods, is going to be missing uh, the, the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Mark, what are your thoughts on that? First of all, good evening. It's nice to talk to you. Nice to have you here. But what are your thoughts on Tiger missing missing out at Bay Hill? Hey, nothing like a Friday afternoon Tiger Woods news dump on the PGA Tour. I mean, this is uh, – Tiger normally has all of the folks in the media center salivating for about 5 p.m. to see if he's going to play or if he isn't going to play. And uh, I'm driving down the road, to be honest with you, coming down to Bay Hill to have a little side visit for the Bay, for the uh, Arnold Palmer Invitational. Lo and behold, I get a call from the guys at CBS HQ saying, hey, can you get on because uh, Tiger Woods is withdrawn? And I'm like, withdrawn? And they're like, sure. So all of a sudden, I pull over to Red Stop Reagan after reading all the news and such. And, and uh, you know, it, it's I'm somewhat surprised. But given how he looked at the Genesis in the final day there, uh, I, I can see that um, transpiring. But that being said also, you know, the weather on the West Coast is different. It's damp. You know, if it's going to show someone with a tender back or an injury up, that's the place that it's going to happen because with television times, you tee off early in the morning. Weather is just different. But we're back on the East Coast here. You're in the south of Florida. It's warm. It's balmy. It's humid. So you think this is going to help someone with some sort of a niggling injury. And so I, the the thing that I have come to sort of realize is that I just think that injury from Genesis was – a little bigger than they said, you know, just back stiffness. And and obviously he hasn't been able to practice as much as what he would like. And so uh, maybe this is just protective, you know, with the Players' Championship just two weeks down the track. And, of course, there's that little invitational tournament in, uh, in, in Augusta, Georgia in early April. So so I think this is protective. But I, I was not really that surprised given how he looked in L.A. So do you feel like this is – strictly based on injury I think you make an interesting point with the amount of time to practice one thing we know about Tiger Woods we've known it for a long time he doesn't really like to play in events when he's not prepared to win when he's not in position to win so maybe he's had a little stiffness to overcome and it just hasn't really gotten there so he hasn't been practicing as much and he felt like he wasn't ready Uh, so perhaps that's a good move now last year he did uh, he withdrew from the Arnold Palmer Invitational as well he was planning on playing had to withdraw with a neck injury, and we all remember how that turned out. Is yeah. there any reason for you right now to panic? Are you worried at all? Is this a guy now you want to maybe stay away from in the Players' Championship? Or are you thinking we, he just needs a little bit of time to get the back in order and things will be clicking on all cylinders when he returns? Well, Tiger Woods knows Tiger Woods. Every great champion knows what they need, and he knows what he needs to be perfectly prepared. Um, as far as the Players' Championship goes... 
it's a venue where he's won twice, but really has the golf course hasn't really fit his game, uh, to be honest with you. Um, but of course, Augusta, Georgia for the Masters, that's really fit his game. And, and what concerns me about that is last year, yes, he pulled out of Bay Hill with a neck injury, but he had five starts before the Masters last year. So he had some running time. If he plays the players and he plays the match play, and then let's say he plays the um, Valspar, which maybe he probably won't. Who knows? That's only four. And running into the first major championship of the year, if he was a horse, a racehorse, I would say he's lightly run. And there's nothing like, to use Tiger's terms, reps under pressure. And, you know, you can go and you can practice at your golf course or your, your home practice facility like he has. Now, with everything dialed in, but when you put pressure on that stuff, that just ramps it up um, proportionately. And then, of course, when you're playing in tournaments, there's the tournament rhythm that one has to bear in mind too. You know, the the stop-start nature of it all, um, the the changes in conditions, just the just the uh, the unpredictability of it all. So, so I, I'm keen to see if he does add Valspar to the uh, to to the schedule just to get one more. If so, you know, I, I'd be a bit more content. Um, if he doesn't. I'm not going to panic because he's Tiger Woods. Uh, he, he knows what he's doing. So, uh, it, it just, look, it makes for fascinating conversation. It gets all of the, uh, the, the golf pundits thinking broad and wide and everyone prognosticating and such. But the one thing I know for sure is Tiger Woods now, after all the surgeries and after all of the brouhaha over the last few years, I think Tiger is certainly not going to come back too soon because when he has done that before, the injuries have perpetuated themselves a bit. We seem to be at this point in Tiger's career where there's only a surprise if he's not playing in four events. And I would say if he withdrew from a player's championship down the road, I would not be surprised. I think there are four tournaments that that we expect Tiger to play in uh, time and time again. And missing the API now for back-to-back years, a place he's won eight times, is a little surprising but i think we, we have to get beyond the fact that it's surprising i think it's no longer surprising it used to be it used to be surprising now this is just the new tiger that we're going to have to live with um i as you mentioned earlier the valspar would be an interesting ad for him i i would be stunned if he added that so i think you're looking at a tiger who's going to have played the farmers um I, I, he will have played the genesis i think you'll see him play the match play and um and the players championship so four tournaments before masters as opposed to five last year and my only hope with that is maybe we'll see him at the wells fargo maybe we'll see a little more preparation after masters into uh, a pga championship into a u.s open into these other tournaments but the real question in this and it's it's kind of the the last Tiger question for me, what do you think this means, if anything, about the Olympics? Do you think Tiger has any real desire on the Olympics? Or is this just something, hey, if I take care of the majors, I'll take care of the Olympics. I got to do what's best for the majors. Yeah, you know what? I, I think you make a few really good points there. Um, first off, uh, the fans have to get used to the fact, and Tiger said as much, that 12 events is kind of him. That's what he figured out last year. And of those 12 events, four of them will be major championships. And we've seen that, you know, the World Golf Championships events, they, I wouldn't say they pale in significance, but, you know, they're not majors. So he's going to gear himself around those four. I find it curious, too, to your point, Greg, where, you know, everyone is making a big deal about 83 wins and overtaking Sam Snead. Well, if Tiger's pulling out of this other stuff, 
especially at a place like Bay Hill. Now, again, we don't know the severity of the injury. They're calling it back stiffness. Um, you know, it's saying to me that, hold on, the major championship tally in catching up with Nicholas is still the only goal. I'm sure if he gets 83 and, and eclipses Sam Snead, that, that's, you know, something I, I'd be surprised if anyone ever achieves again. Um, so, so it talks to his goal setting and then to that goal setting with the Olympics. He had told us all that, you know, I mean, um, I want to play. I want to go to Tokyo. I want to be a part of the United States team. And uh, decisions lately have sort of maybe um, kind of dampened that conversation a little bit. But also, to your point, you know, if you win major championships, there's a whole truckload of points that, that come alongside that. And if he does that, he'll vault up those world rankings and, and, and solidify his place. So so I think your observation is well-founded where perhaps he's just looking at this going, okay, I've got Augusta, I've got Harding Park where I've played well in the President's Cup before. Then I've got the U.S. Open and, of course, the Open Championship coming down the the, the, the pike where um, I've had success at those two. So I think he's he's aiming towards the four, knowing what he's able to do during a year. And if if that's enough, then so be it. Yeah, I think, you, uh, again, some excellent points. He also won a World Golf Championships at Harding Park. So some mm-hmm. good success there. The weather out there gives me a little bit of pause. I don't you don't yeah. know what you're going to get. It just it brings a lot of things into question to me. Um, but uh, another point about the Olympics that, uh, that I haven't really heard anybody make, and it's in order for Tiger to, to play in the Olympics and accomplish that goal, he has to be healthy to play in the Olympics, whether he qualifies or not. If he, if he burns himself out now and isn't able to perform and he has to miss some events because he was chasing world golf ranking points, well, then you're probably not going to see him play uh, in the Olympics in Tokyo anyway. So whether he, yeah. whether he qualifies or not. So, uh, health is the priority for him. He understands that better than anyone on, on the PGA tour, I would imagine. And, uh, and, and he knows his own body, as you wisely pointed out. So, well, people, do- sorry, people hear what they want to hear and, and, and they hear people saying, well, from Tiger, this is me. And to your point, Greg, he's like, health is my major thing. And I, I've got to do, I'm, I'm different now. I've got to do what I've got to do to bring out my best when it means something. And people hear this, but they don't listen to this. And Tiger keeps bro- he's telecasting and broadcasting everything he's going to do. Yet, you know, a lot of us are like, "Oh, this can't be. What are we going to do now?" You know. But but the one thing I know for sure is that Tiger Woods knows what he's got to do to bring out his best. And and so your point about the health um, and the Olympics and perhaps chasing something in in an effort to get it and then wearing yourself out and kind of putting paid to the rest of the year—that's uh, a risky proposition. That's a really good point. Yeah, his schedule is a lot more fluid than we make it out to be at the beginning of the year. It's always a fun conversation to have. What's Tiger's schedule going to be this year? And we kind of write it out for him. And he's not writing, he's not looking as far in advance as we are. Uh, he's, he's taking this, well, what can I handle? I'll take on what I can handle and no more. And he means no more. So, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, speaking of, Fluid schedules. One of the major championships has announced that they're going to have Royal Troon host the 2023 Open Championship. And the reason fluidity comes into play with this, they, they don't necessarily go uh, full six years out like the USGA and yeah. the PGA tend to do. They they keep things a little closer to the chest. Also, with Ryder Cup venues, the European Tour chooses their Ryder Cup venues um, way closer to the actual event than the Americans do. What do you make of this? Do you think this is a, a good idea? I mean, Royal Troon is obviously a great venue, don't you think? 
Oh, it is. Uh, if, and if you're a fan of American golf, you've got to be happy that they're going back there because um, Americans have had a, a fun time of it around that golf course. It's on the west coast of Scotland. The town, uh, Troon, Darvel, that sort of area around there, just smacks of golf. There's so much good links golf around the place. Troon is an incredible golf course, of course, home club to Colin Montgomery. And you, you just look at their list of champions and Justin Leonard, Mark Kalkovecchia, Watson's won there, Weisskopf's won there, Arnold Palmer, South African Bobby Luck and Arthur Havers. So Americans uh, have, have enjoyed Royal Troon. Um, I'm not so sure why. I think some of the layout of, of the golf course does have to deal with that because it is a ball striker's place. And you travel out, basically, and then you travel back in. And, and those final few holes coming back into the wind, you typically play into a wind that's into and off the left-hand side. And if you're a ball striker, you are going to love life around there. I mean, hence Justin Leonard, for argument's sakes, um, winning around the place and Weisskopf. But, of course, Stenson and Mickelson, you get you catch that place with no wind, and they put on a clinic. But still, you know, they separated themselves from the field. So it's a great course. Par is a good score around there. I love it. I love the area. Um and, and, and I sort of love the fact that the RNA still do it like they do it. You know, they're not going to capitulate to what, you know, the demands of the fans and the media are. They're like, this is when we release our things. This is how we do it. We've done this since Moby Dick was a minnow. <laughs> and yeah, this, this is how golf gets run. And, and, and you got to, you appreciate it and you just love the places they go and uh, host their, their, their major championship at. They have that par three out there. Is it the 12th hole, the postage stamp par three? Really small green with the, uh, the coffin bunker on the left side. Is that number 12? Postage stamp is the eighth. Um, It's the eighth. Yeah. Yeah. One of the coolest holes, uh, in the game. So I, I do think it's very exciting. 123 yards worth. And, and you see there's a bunker on the left hand side of the green that is absolutely deadly um and that green looks like it looks like the upside it remember the old vw the beetle or the bug yeah, you know, yes it, yes it, it looks like a vw hood down there it's <laughs> impossible and then you've got a crosswind and then to make it even cooler in his final open i think it was gene sarazen makes an ace over there so it's i mean it smacks of history it's, it's really so yeah it's, it's it's super cool and i i like that they uh when they choose their venues to me it it makes a lot of sense. You have a better understanding of uh, the climate of the game when you're talking about three years in advance rather than six, uh, especially in the Ryder Cup. I know that's a conversation for a different day, but w- when you choose the venues, uh, to me, you have to have some idea of what the game is going to be like in in that time, and you have a much more clear view three years out than you do um, th- than you do six years out, and. To that point, to that end, you still have enough time to kind of get everything yeah. situated. So uh, to me, I really like that, that choice here. But, um, Mark, we also, we do have in, in recent news, the Honda Classic is going on. We're at the halfway mark. <laughs> we are through 36 holes and here it is Friday night, 7.39. We haven't talked about it yet. So we're, we're going to get, I want to get to the Honda Classic. I'm dying to get your thoughts on it. But first, let's take a break and hear a word from our partners. Did you know that more than 75% of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% will seek out a solution for that pain? Those numbers do not add 
up to me. And I know it can be confusing, the biomechanics of the foot, the bones, the muscles, everything in between. But solving foot pain is simple. And that's where Superfeet comes into play. These Superfeet insoles go into your shoes, give your feet comfort and support where they need it the most and redistribute the forces that reduce both stress and strain through your entire body, not just your feet. Insoles have been uh, phenomenal for me uh, personally, and they are clinically proven to decrease fatigue, reduce injury, and improve comfort. I can attest to that myself, especially when walking uh, a lot of golf holes that I play. So if you feel good, you play good, you look good, everything works out from there and it starts from the bottom up. Visit superfeet.com and enter promo code first at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. It's a really fine line creating workout clothes that are great in the gym and workout clothes that are also great to look at outside the gym. And Viore has threaded that needle. They are designed to work out in, but they don't look like it. They don't feel like it. And it's incredibly comfortable stuff, whether you are running, training, swimming, doing yoga, running errands, lounging around the house. It really doesn't matter. These are versatile clothes. You'll find me often in the men's Sunday performance jogger because I, I like the jogger situation that goes on down at the bottom, but they're very comfortable. Uh, they've got a little bit of a shorter inseam, so they're not as bulky as as other pants or other joggers that I have seen out there, and I've really enjoyed how they work both in and out of the gym. So now here's what you can do for four our listeners. Uh, first-time purchasers are getting 20% off. All you have to do is go to viori.com slash first. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash first. Again, not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. And here's my favorite part, free returns. Yeah, go check it out. Viori.com slash first and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. And we're back. To the First Cup Podcast, Greg Ducharme, joined by Mark Immelman this morning. The the Honda Classic, we're through 36 holes, and we have, and it's playing difficult, just like mm-hmm. we expected. Plays difficult every year. You have Brendan Steele sitting at five under par, leading the way. Last time Brendan Steele led a PGA Tour event, it was the Sony Open, and we also had these windy, 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 blustery conditions. You think Brendan Steele learned anything from the last time he was in contention in a PGA Tour event? Well, the cliche goes that you're supposed to learn something from every round. Um, I'm not so sure he learned something. I'm sure he came out there with a good-sized chip on his shoulder after blowing the uh, the lead. He had that thing firmly in the grasp of his uh, of, of his Californian hands off that sensational up and down from a plug lie in the uh, on the 11th, um, and he extended the lead there and basically spent it over the final few holes. So I think there's an element of um, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Perhaps urgency yes. uh, out of steel. But you know, he hits a ball flight that works really well in wind. It's sort of a tumbly draw. He can fade it if he needs to, and the thing cuts a hole in the wind. And and if you've got crosswind holes like you do at Wireline, and like you do it down at the Honda, the way he shapes the golf ball, he can pretty well cut the ball through the breeze. And so a hole. You know, certainly those bear trap holes played downwind with that northwesterly blowing today, so they were a little easier. But when you get that one coming in and off the left-hand side there on 15 and 17, I mean, those holes are just downright mean. 
and he can just cut one through there with a draw. So, so some of the ball flight he hits lends itself to playing in the wind. You know, he's from California, so he can deal with that sort of stuff. And, you know, after, with love to all the West Coast courses, after being out there for a few weeks, five weeks or so, count Mexico in there, you come to the greens down at the Champions course there, PGA National. And those things are like carpets and they are firm and you know what the first bounce is going to do. And if you get a ball online, it's in the hole if the speed's right. And if you miss, it's basically on you. So everyone has this new lease on life, really, on the greens. And for Steele, he's, he's got that manner where he makes putts where it means something. And, uh, and I'm sure he's pretty comfortable. I'm sure he's got unsettled debts to, 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 to pay, you know, with that, with that lead blown there in YLI. And he's been playing solidly this season, bar a couple of miscuts. So, uh, I'm not that surprised to see him atop the leaderboard. It really does fit his game. I, I completely agree with you. You wonder what happens at the Sony Open, right? You you have that chance. You have the tournament in your hands. You give it away. Uh, you mentioned the, the bunker shot he hit on 11. Uh, it definitely looked like that was going to seal the deal for the tournament. And then it, coming down the stretch, he doesn't get up and down on 17, misses a short putt, and hits uh, a shot that really got away from him on 18. That's mm-hmm. kind of the shot we all remember, right? 18 was yeah. uh, this hole where it, the, everything just went crazy. We have Ryan Palmer hitting the ball out of play to the right. And then, uh, and then you have Brendan Steele hitting it probably a hundred yards left of where Ryan Palmer hit it. And, and the ending just got a little crazy. Cam Smith was able to get the win. I look at Brendan Steele and I think, uh, it, the course fits his game like you. Uh, wisely pointed out and I think he has a little bit of an axe to grind we'll see what happens but if you're going to be in this situation with a lead through 36 holes it's a pretty good leaderboard to to be in front of I um there it's not the big daunting scary names that we've been seeing the past couple of weeks you have JT Poston who when I was looking through this week looking into my things I, I saw JT Poston's name I scrolled on by and said I just overlooked JT Poston I knew <laughs> I overlooked him and here he is sitting uh, at 400 par in time per second with Luke Donald and Lee Westwood the veterans coming out to play here uh, they both of these guys live in Florida and and they are kind of I mean back to like the 2011 in the 2011 these two guys are dueling it out for world number one do you make the do you think these two guys have a have a chance this weekend I know Lee just won on the European tour uh their game seems to be in good form but with the Luke Donald especially do you think this is just one great round of 66 um no because the setup of the golf course uh, one of the caddies mentioned to one of my old radio colleagues this week that he would take 469s and sit in the clubhouse and that basically is four and a par for the week so for Donald you know everyone talks about the ball striking around here if you keep the ball in play off the tee you're okay and then a lot of this golf course is recovery. It's scrambling. And because all the mistakes that you make are basically on the left and right hand sides of the hole. So, and, and there's no separation power. Uh, the way the hazards fit down the penalty areas, I should say, forgive me, USGA, um, where they sit down either side of the holes, um, it, it's not to fly the thing 320 in the air. You've got some sort of an advantage. If you miss it left, you are paying the penalty, whether you fly at 320 or 280. So I think it's the golf course for all. So then you start to look for separators, and the first separator is the ability to scramble and recover. And if the forecast remains true to what normally is there over the weekends, you've got some crosswinds, which mitigates uh, folks hitting targets, which suddenly starts to highlight 
the ability to make saves around the greens. So that that keeps Donald in it from my point of view. Westwood, I mean, you could still at 40, whatever he is now, seven or eight, you know, he's one of the most accurate ball strikers in the game. Um, both of them can flat the ball down, which is, a, as you know, in the wind. And so, no, I, I, you know, you never know in golf, but, but just looking at the way their game set up and watching the examination that the champion course presents, I think they're poised to, to, to be, uh, to, to have a chance at least on Sunday afternoon. Well, they're certainly in good position. I, I think Lee Westwood, especially, this course suits his game very well. Luke, I worry a little bit about. He can get a little crooked at times off the tee, um, and and you can pay a penalty real quick here. Uh, you mentioned the scrambling ability that he has. Uh, one of the some of the best touch the PGA Tour has ever seen. I mean, he has hands of gold, which mm-hmm. is really fun to watch. The only problem is the only concern I have with the Luke Donald is some, there are many. Penalty areas around here where if you miss the green, you can't scramble from some of these areas. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what's going to happen with Luke's golf swing over the weekend? That's going to be the big test for me. Lee's, Lee's golf swing, I, I trust. I, coming down the stretch on 15, uh, 16, 17 through the bear trap, some of these really daunting shots when the wind's blowing like crazy, I trust that golf swing. No yeah. doubt about it. Um, well, the good so, thing the- – the good thing for Donald right now is, is looking looking through the numbers a little bit. You know, he's above the field average in greens and regulation and in driving accuracy. Right. And so is that going to hold up? Yeah. That's kind of the question, right? Well, I mean, look, if, if uh, these sorts of questions, if I knew the answer to these, you wouldn't be talking to me right now because I'll be chilled <laughs> out on some island somewhere with my back. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, you, you, you never really know. But, but, but the way he looks like he's swinging, the work that he's putting to it, you know, he's a lot of these guys, as you know, you know, they see their buddies doing well, and then it proves to them that they can. Like when Garcia won a made the the Masters a few years ago, he had been watching Adam and 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 Justin Rose and everyone contending. And now Luke is looking upon a, a, a Lee Westwood for argument's sake, going, "Man, he's won lately. I'm healthy again. Um, I've beaten this guy in my day. I've been world's number one." So there's, there, there, there is an element of that stuff to it. And like I've always said on the show, and I will continue to say until I fall over and I go and play the heavenly fizz one day. Um, you know, you just need to capture that some little something, that lightning in a bottle for one week on the PGA tour nowadays. I think those are two players definitely capable of doing it. Other players in the field looking for, and it's kind of a bunched leaderboard. You got Brandon Steele at five under, three players that we just talked about at four under par. You have uh, Gary Woodland, Nick Watney, Sepp Straka, and Cameron Davis all at three under, uh, and then and then another group of players at two under par. I mean, really, if you, if you look at through this leaderboard and you just start scrolling all the way through, you're going to see the the cut being at plus three. So if you made the cut on the number at three over par, you're within eight shots of the lead on a golf course like this. Eight shots can come really quickly. I think of a Ryan Palmer who shot. I believe it was a 62 or 63 last year on the final day to put himself inside the top five. There are, there's an opportunity to shoot a low number. There's also an opportunity to make some big numbers. Uh, and that's what makes for such an interesting weekend. But when you look at this list, Mark, and you look at the guys that we just talked about, the five unders, the four unders, you get into the three unders, a Gary Woodland, a very, very popular one and done pick this week. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. You got Shane Lowry and Sung J.M. sitting at two under par. Tommy Fleetwood, two under par. Whose golf swing do you trust most coming down the stretch uh, at the bear trap 
15, holes 15, 17, 18. Who, who do you trust most over the weekend? Well, I'm not sure what the wind is going to do. I mean, if the wind flips to what it normally does, that prevailer over there, then you want someone that can turn the ball into that into left to right wind, in my opinion. You know, because if you get one sliding right on that left to right wind, you're bringing a disaster into play. So from that point of view, I would go with Tommy Fleetwood. But um, Gary Woodland mentioned in his post-round comments that he had hooked up with Pete Cowan. He's very happy with where the golf swing is. He's driving the ball great. And I think if you put the ball in play off the tee, the way the golf course is playing, it's kind of firmish. You know, you're going to get some short clubs in here. So I like the game because he also, like a Fleetwood, for argument's sake, flights it down as well as anyone in the in the game. So so those two jump out at me. But uh, just, you know, I, I'm, I'm saying this for Rick Gaiman and Kyle Porter and our boys. You know, Sung J.M. is lurking. And, and he's two under and he won yet. Four under par in round two to put himself at two under. Um, he, he is spirit. And he's got that sort of a demeanor that can deal with the odd disaster. Like we saw in the second round of this thing. I mean, Zach Johnson was cruising along. Then all of a sudden he makes seven. I think it was an 11 and quickly follows that with double bogey. So peril waits around every turn. So you better have yourself, your wits about yourself. So I like Sanjay from that point of view as well. Yeah, I think Sungjae is a good uh, a good look here. 66 today, four under par today, two under for the tournament. He's a really steady player, extremely accurate player. I have at his age, with his uh, his youth, I do worry about kind of a a late round slip up. I, I think it was at the Sony Open on 16. He made like an eight, and it really, I mean, it crushed. A number of us, J- our producer Jacob Halleck and I in the one and done, and that was extremely disappointing. Speaking of the one and done, and speaking of Gary Woodland, another player you mentioned, uh, it's time for a little update here with the one and done. So we had a number mm-hmm. of, of players, myself included. Mm-hmm. We had uh, you, you, Mark. Um, we had, let's see, everybody basically chose Gary Woodland, except our producer Jacob Halleck chose Shane Lowry, who sits at two under par. Kyle Porter and Rick Gaiman both chose Billy Horschel, uh, which I, I found very interesting. So the Gary Woodland pick, I, I feel I got to feel really good about him right now for you and I and, and a couple others. I, I know we have Eric Kay, our, our, uh, the boss with Gary Woodland in good shape there. Uh, and, and we also have, I think that's Mike Kaiser who's sitting there with Gary Woodland as well. So uh, a lot of players have Gary Woodland right now. And I gotta like his chances. I love the way he can flight it down off the tee, especially that stinger iron shot. I think is going to be really valuable over the weekend. Yeah, I just wish that before the event, like our normal email chain, I wasn't so busy, so I could have had a look because I might have pivoted to Fleetwood because I said I was going to consider Woodland. Yeah. And then I got wrapped up with work and I had a trip to make, and so I did. I was actually behind, and thanks to Jacob. He sent me this text that I got very late. He goes, listen, um, if you want Woodland, I can uh, input this because you hadn't uh, updated your, uh, your, 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 your website, whatever that little entry thing was. Yeah. And so thanks to Jake, I'm still in the game. Um, but if I'd realized so many folks were going Woodland, I may have switched because I'm at the bottom of the list. But all right. That you got to make up a little ground. Exactly. But all that being said, I mean, uh, Woodland's the kind of guy, the way he's playing, he's operating with some confidence after the victory last summer. Um, he's been in contention a few times this year already. Um, I think if you stay in front of Gary Woodland, you're going to be in good shape on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, we'll we'll talk again Sunday night, but I have a feeling 
that this is Gary Woodland's week. So we'll, we'll definitely have our eye on it. A couple players over the weekend that we will not have our eye on. Um, some big names in the Honda Classic missing the cut, including Brooks Kepka, Ricky Fowler, and Victor Hovland. Any concern with Brooks Kepka's knee at this point? Or do you think, do you think this is just typical Brooks? He's letting us lay low, waiting for majors. Or do you think there's anything to be really concerned with? You know what? That's a good question, Greg, and I really don't know. Um, I because I was traveling to Orlando and there was a massive traffic jam down I-75, I didn't get to look through some of the statistics. Now, if there were a number of left misses, yeah, I'd be a little concerned. But you know, this might just be Brooks, Brooks doing Brooks kind of things. Um, he has played year well before. The one year I called this event a few years ago. He played alongside McElroy and DJ and looked pedestrian. Um, and I say that with respect, Brooks, forgive me. Um, but he didn't play very well. So I'm not so sure he's comfortable around this golf course. Um, but, but uh, again, like Tiger, Brooks knows what's necessary. So I think this is a little of him going, okay, I'm just finding my game. I'm getting my sea legs underneath me. I'm sort of figuring out what's necessary. This is a, this golf course is a really good barometer. For where the golf swing is, because as you know, misstruck ball is going to get gobbled up by those sea breezes. So I think after this miscut, he'll have a really good idea as to what is necessary as we head into the Players' Championship and beyond. And, and I'm sure when uh, when the Players rolls around and, and, and beyond that, the Masters, he'll be in uh, running shape. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that we're going to have a similar conversation after the Players' Championship. I don't think that golf course sets up very well for Brooks. But uh, I, I have this sense that he's doing it to us again. He's teasing us again, and everybody's going to get down on Brooks, and come time, come April, he's going to be right there in contention at Masters. But um, I, I don't know what to believe with him. He, he seems mm-hmm. to be I'm not sure if he's playing a game with the media. He says his knee is fine. He's just playing bad. Then he says he has under completely underplayed what happened with the knee, and it was causing him a lot of pain, mainly in walking. And now we're back to the knee is fine. I just, I'm just playing bad. So I think there's definitely some mental games going on, uh, and I don't fault him for it. I understand and appreciate the games and chip, but I, I just, it gives me a little bit of concern. And it, it's only the only reason I have any concern at all is because of the knee, and I don't know the yeah. status of it. And if he can get that healthy, uh, then I mean he's probably the the player to to fear. He's probably the guy to watch going into the majors. So. Well, again, to the golf course, as we had pointed out, you know, if you miss on sides of the fairways, you you some most often, more often than not, I should say, you're dropping the golf ball. Where yeah. Because the national, that's not the case. Harding Park, that's not the case. Um, Wingfoot, that's not the case. So, uh, um. You know, he he plays a power game. He busts it off the tee, and then he plays it from there. And when he's on, he hits the ball in the fairway. But largely, he'll he'll sort of grab a golf course by the scruff of the neck and manhandle the place. And and you can't necessarily do that here at uh, at the Honda Classic. I mean, look at the leaderboard: Poston, Luke Donald, Nick uh, Watney's long, but Shane Larry's not that long. Sung James not that long. Oh, I say this relatively. Uh, Richie Wierenski is, and Varner isn't. So. This is more the kind of thing where you put the ball in play and you've got a chance to win. So it's not it's not necessarily Brooks's game. So I think there's a little of the uh, I'm not playing so well either. Yeah, I think we can understand. We're basically, the way I leave it, it sounds like you're in the same place as me. We're in a wait-and-see game with Brooks. Yeah. We just... We just have to wait and see, and we'll be talking about it again come uh, come Players' Championship time. So uh, a little bit of waiting to do with him. Ricky Fowler, 
This one is a little concerning to me. In yesterday's round, he made seven bogeys and just one birdie in a, in a 76, which was just a disappointing round. It was different than Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka goes out and makes some big numbers, which I can understand. He, he hits it in the water twice at six, hits it in the water at 18, makes a bogey there. Um, but for Ricky, it's been a lot of bogeys. Now today, he was able to make a couple more birdies. He made five birdies today um, on top of three bogeys. And he is going through a little bit of a swing change. Are you concerned with Ricky? Are you giving Ricky a little bit of time? I mean, both of these players were a shot out of a playoff last year in the Honda Classic. And now they're both slamming the trunk going home for the weekend. There's nothing like playing a, a visually intimidating golf course with crosswinds when you're going, when you're in the midst of a swing change. I mean, there's, I, I cannot voice or describe this enough to the listener to say, if you need, if you can understand a place that's uncomfortable, it's that. Where you're unsure, you're still trying to find your feet, you're still trying to find your trust and your faith in what you're doing. And you're standing there with hazards left and right and a wind in off your left-hand side. Uh, that That is going to expose you physically and mentally in the biggest way. So I'm going to give Ricky a little bit of a pass. But the truth of it is, with uh, the Arnold Palmer uh, Invitational at Bay Hill, you get the same things. Now, if the weather's nice, it's okay. But you can get that chilly northwesterly out there too. Oh. And some of those par fours can play downright nasty. And then the Players' Championship, it's a different deal now to what it was in the summertime. And and that overseeded golf course with some crosswinds, that's going to test you a little bit too. So I think the next few weeks for Ricky are going to be sort of telling as to where he really is. Um, so I, I, I don't know whether to say I'm going to give him a pass, but I, I, I'm certainly here to say that I, I respect John Tillery highly. He's a very savvy young man who's got a great knowledge of the golf swing, and he understands individuals – and from my discussions with him with the changes they made to Kevin Kisner and to a few other guys, Scott Brown, who I'd worked with before, John will not make a move until the player understands exactly how, why, where, all that sort of stuff before anything's done. I mean, the, the conversations with Kevin Kisner were like three or four hours before they even had a shot. So there's nothing been done there willy-nilly. So I think in terms of the adjustments, they know where they're going. It's well researched. They know what's up. This is not just okay. I'm trying to, you know, enforce my will and and flex and show my knowledge of the golf swing. So, so I know they're doing the right thing. Uh, Ricky believes in it. He has to, else he would have moved along by now. So, so I, from that point of view, I'm I'm certain that that they are on track and 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 they in going in the direction they want to. Well, that is definitely good news because uh, I, when I look at the Ricky Fowler situation. I always give a player who's making some changes a little bit of a pass for recent performance, but that doesn't mean I don't question whether or not they should be making the change. And with Ricky, I feel like he's been a pretty good ball striker for a long time now, and I don't see any real weakness. I don't know if if previously the errors that Ricky made were golf swing related. Now, that being said, you don't know what's coming, and uh, a coach Martin Hall once told me, I know when a player's about to start playing poorly well before they know. And mm -hmm. I also know when they're about to start playing really well before they know. So uh, I definitely can understand a little bit of that. And hearing what you had to say about John Tillery, who I've spoken to and have the utmost respect for as well, um, th the fact that they're so 
um, kind of well rooted and and have such a they develop such a solid understanding before they go. That definitely makes me feel um, feel feel a little bit more confident with Ricky going forward. Well, there's one thing I know from all of my years in golf instruction is that um, everyone is fallible. You know, no one has the answer to world tension. You know, as it comes to uh, pertains to the golf swing, and in the final analysis, there are two things that are very important. Um, and this is knowledge aside, the communication skills of the uh, of the giver of the information. And then the understanding skills of the receiver and then the ability to apply and then trust what's being done by, by the student. And, and you've got two professionals that are working alongside each other. So, uh, so, so I'm, 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 I'm a believer. Okay. Now, uh, if, if you had a player like say Victor Hovland come to you for lessons, is there anything you would do? Now he missed the, he's another one of these guys who missed the cut this week. I would assume. You're with me on this, that this is like the hangover biscuit. You're 20, mm-hmm. you're what, 22 years old. You go win in your first time in, in Puerto Rico. You come back to Honda the next time. And this might quite literally be uh, a hangover miscut, but this guy is uh, immensely talented. Is there anything in his swing that you, that you particularly like or don't like? I, I, and I again will ask, is there anything to be concerned with this week or, or are you with me on that? Um, he's just very, very stable with a club face through contact. Yeah. And, 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 and when I grade a golf swing, I look for three things. I always have and I always will. Um, I look for center contact. I look for maximum speed with minimum effort. And then I look for the ability to repeat under pressure. And he checks all three boxes. And, and will there be, you know, I think as he ages, um, there'll be the, the natural sort of adjustments and the golf swing will mature um, in in its own way. And so whoever he's working alongside, you'll have to keep tabs on that sort of thing. But right now he's strong, he's fit, he's in shape. He, he works, the, the physical work appears to be, um, uh, it, it appears to, to be beneficial to what he's able to do with the golf swing. Um, so so no, right now he's, he's got to just do what he's doing. He's got to strike while the iron's hot. And if there was an error he, he could work on, I think, is just to, to be a little, just a little sharper on the greens, cause that area tends to be streaky. So no golf swing wise, I'll, I'm gonna let him be for a bit and just make sure that you make the putts when they mean something. Yeah, and maybe do a little work. You probably go over to the short game area a yeah. little bit. Uh, he wasn't too happy with the way that the, the chipping and pitching performed down the stretch in Puerto Rico. So a little bit of work to be done there, but it, he is an immensely talented player. My favorite thing about Victor Hovland, though, is his, and I love the stability of the club base too. Uh, just real quick, as you were saying, can you, can you produce that maximum speed with minimum effort? Uh, yes, he can. And he is the kind of guy that looks like he can add as much speed as he wants. Mm-hmm. The yeah. face is so stable. It's not going to start going offline when he adds or changes speed. So that can work well in the adding of speed and also the reducing of speed so i think this is a guy we're going to be watching for years to come a little bit of work in the short game area uh and and uh, i think a weekend off this week we'll do wonders <laughs> for victor hovland um but, but but mark gotta thank you so much for coming on i don't know if you've heard but i'm sure you have we have now the first cut podcast has its own social media channels mm-hmm. and so you got to make sure you check these out on twitter and instagram at first cut pod You'll, you'll get some great previews, some great promos, uh, some, some great things like that. It'll keep you up to date with all the things we have going on here in the First Cut family. So um, definitely make sure you give that a look. 
and also and, and a follow and a like. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you go on to wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a, a rating, a rating you see fit. Rate us fairly. We love a five star rating. Just saying. And and subscribe to the channel. Um, and, and make sure you keep on listening. And, and that way you can catch up Sunday afternoon. You can hear all the recap of the Honda Classic this Sunday night. Will, will you be with us Sunday night, Mark? I do believe I will. I look forward to that. And I look forward to uh, cashing in on Gary Woodland closing out this event on for my one and done aspirations. Yes. And on, the only thing that you have going against you is I, too, have Gary Woodland. <laughs> I'm looking to cash in. But, hey. Uh, I think if we both win, that it's a win for all. So uh, right. I'm definitely rooting for that. So thank you so much for listening. Mark, thank you for joining me. Uh, and you can get Mark on Twitter at Mark underscore Immelman. You can also get me on Twitter at the Real GFD. But don't forget about First Cut Pod, those social media channels as well. So thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you on Sunday night. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.